book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter series of books. We're going to pick up where we left off, Lily, which is where? What book are we talking about? The Order of the Phoenix, and our last episode was a very long time ago. Well, from, yeah, from our perspective, uh, because the the release is getting dictated by when you finish the books. So having not read all of the books ahead of time, starting with what book four, we're now beholden to your reading schedule and also my work schedule to get these things out there. So it's usually about every two weeks instead of every week. We are at chapter 20, uh, having left off at 19 last time. So chapter 20, Hagrid's tale. Hagrid has been gone on a mysterious mission. And finally, he shows up at the end of our last chapter looking at, well, we don't know how he looks yet. We find out right now how he looks. First of all, how does he look? Uh, he looks pretty bad. He's all scratched up and stuff. Um, he, um, he has, like, all these bruises and bumps, and he has, like, um, and he has um, a black eye. Hey, he's beat to heck. So uh, he's going to tell our friends, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who have encountered him at his cabin, what his secret mission was about? Where has he been for months and months? He has been on a mountain looking for trolls. Not trolls. Not trolls. Uh, giants. Giants. Trolls are all bad. Giants are only mostly bad. Trolls are uh, big, dumb creatures that attack and destroy. And giants are big, dumb creatures that attack and destroy that you can reason with sometimes. Yeah, they're, they're more like people. They're closer to people, but they do not like... Basically anything that isn't a giant, and so they are difficult to reason with. And in the past, they have sided with dark wizards such as Voldemort. Yeah, probably the only thing they like that's not a giant um, is fire, um, like a fire, like a campfire or something, and something that you can eat. Yeah, they're hungry. So <laughs> what was Hagrid's special mission? Who sent him on it? Dumbledore. And what was his mission? I think it was try it was to try and get the giants on their side. Correct. They know that a battle is coming. They know that giants are very powerful and maybe even more so than wanting the giants to fight for them. I think they want the giants to just not fight against them. Because if Voldemort's got giants on his side, He's very he's already very powerful. He's going to be that much more powerful, right? Yeah. So Dumbledore tells Hagrid, "Oh, first of all, who does Hagrid go with?" Uh, Madame Maxine. And what connection do Maxine and Hagrid share with the giants? They're both half giants. They're at least We know Hagrid is a half giant. Madame Maxine seems to be a half giant. She seems giant. to be. She may not be a total half giant. Maybe she's one quarter. We know that she has got giant lineage and she was previously very embarrassed and offended by that but maybe now she realizes she's gonna accept it and it's not that bad maybe well it doesn't make her a bad person but the reason they were 
they may conceal it is that people don't tend to like giants and giants don't tend to like people. And so it may have been in her best interest to keep that to herself. Not, not because it's the right thing to do, but just because it might save her from some, uh, you know, ridicule or, or, or perhaps even, you know, who knows if, if you're allowed to have a giant headmistress at her school at Beaubaton. So maybe she's, you know, not just ashamed, maybe she's scared of what people will think of her. So at least to Hagrid, she is admitting now that she has giant lineage and, and Dumbledore thinks these half giants are going to have a better chance of talking to giants than just people who they would probably squash. What does Dumbledore tell Hagrid is the secret to getting a giant to listen to you? Bring them presents. Do you remember what the other, the other suggestions were? No. They require presents. They, he said, keep going back day after day. And give them presents. Even if they don't listen to you, you should always go back. And I feel like there was something else, but I don't remember. So Hagrid and, I, you know, I don't know how to say her name. It's either Olymp or Olympe. I think it's Uh, Olympia. It's not, well, there's not enough letters for it to be Olympia. Um... But it's Madame Maxine. They meet with the chief of the giants. What Do you remember the crazy word that a giant chief is called? Something that starts with a G. Gerg. The Gerg of the giants. And his name is Carcass. That, that room, um, Gerg, since it's a silly word, um, um, that actually reminds me of the road that we take on the way to Derby. It's called Blag. Blag. <laughs> Black Road, <laughs> Gerg Road. Yeah, maybe Gerg lives on Gerg Road. <laughs> so Gerg, the giant chief, or the giant chief carcass, who is also the Gerg, <laughs> uh, he gets a special gift that was sent by Dumbledore, pertains to one of the things you said that giants like. What is it? What is his gift? Everlasting fire. Yeah, it's some sort of torch that will never go out. And so... You got to figure being a big giant, maybe it's kind of hard to start a fire to cook your meats. So they probably appreciate, well, at least as much as they can, a gift of everlasting fire. And so that's their first gift. They give him some other stuff, some, uh, I think, a helmet and some dragon skin. Apparently they like that. Yeah, I think it's a goblin helmet. I wonder if it's like a goblin helmet big enough for a giant. I would assume it's not a tiny goblin helmet. But then again, why would a goblin make a helmet for a giant? I don't know. <laughs> How do the talks with the giants go? Most of the giants don't understand English, but there luckily are a few in the group that understand some English. So they tell the um, so they tell the Gerg what that uh, what Madame Maxime and Hagrid are saying of what they can understand. But ultimately, do things turn out positive or, or negative for Hagrid and Maxine? Uh, for the first few days, it's okay. But, after, um, like, one, one day, I think they, like, maybe don't have a present or something. But and in the end, how do things turn out? Do they get the giants on their side? Not so far. They do not. They fail in their, they fail in their task, and Hagrid gets beat up. Yeah, um, they have to hide in a cave, and um, he's one. And um, Hagrid has an idea that they should go um, looking for giants that might be hiding in other other caves because they don't want to be 
beat up too. Well, their their plan doesn't work, and they it takes them months to get there. Well, so they head back to Hogwarts. Now we should also point out somebody else. Yes. Well, actually, I think that they get like at least six giants on their side because they find a few that are hiding in caves and and they say that they'll be on their side, I think. Sure, sure, but overall their their mission is a failure. Right. The giants are probably going to side with Voldemort and we also know that they've had a meeting with who? Do you remember? The Death Eaters. Yeah, the Death Eaters have been bringing gifts to the giants as well, and it stands to reason that a Death Eater might be able to say, "Hey, you sided with us in the past. Plus, we got all these great gifts that are maybe more to your liking. And so the Giants are probably going to side with those guys. Also, Hagrid was recognized by the Death Eater McNair. And so Voldemort will soon know that a representative of Dumbledore was trying to talk to Giants. So maybe he'll try even harder to get the Giants on his side. Just as oh, and, and Hermione asks about Hagrid's mother. Do you remember her name? Oh, uh, wolf something? Fridwulfa. Fridwulfa the giant. But what happened to Fridwulfa? She died a few years ago. Yeah, so Hagrid might have hoped to have a reunion with his mom. Maybe that was also a good reason for him to go on this journey. He was sad, um, but um, he said that she was never really a great mother. That's true. She was not concerned about Hagrid, and perhaps giants don't take care of their children. They just kind of... They're like animals that don't uh, raise their kids. They just kind of let them grow up on their own. Except for his father, which I think was a human. Right. And his, he was a regular-sized human. He was already he was much larger than his dad when he was like eight years old. So after that, though, as they're hearing this story, who should knock on the door? Uh, Professor Umbridge. Umbridge! <laughs> <laughs> she uh, wants to know what Hagrid's been up to, where he's been. Why is he all beat up? What does Hagrid put on his face to soothe his wounds? It um it looks like a poisonous piece of steak, but it's actually dragon. It's dragon meat. Meat, which so. implies that there is somewhere that you can buy dragon meat, <laughs> or perhaps the probably nocturnally, or perhaps the giants had killed a dragon and were eating it, and Hagrid got some of the meat. I wonder. I, I bet it tastes kind of like alligator, if I had to guess, which tastes like fishy chicken. Ew. Well, both of those things are excellent, so... Nah. <laughs> believe me, it's fine. I don't like fish. Yeah, yes, you do. You eat I it don't. all the time. Yes, you do. You eat it all the time. Because you make me. You eat fish sticks on purpose. That's almost entirely fish. Well, it's still better. It's fish. So, what do they do to get away from Umbridge? <sighs> uh... Everyone pops under her, uh, Harry's invisibility cloak. Oh, I didn't know they brought it. They have a problem with the invisibility cloak, because since the last time they've used it, Ron's grown about six inches. Oh. And so they, he has to duck down. It was much easier to fit a bunch of 11-year-olds under one cloak. And now you've got three, you know, taller, larger, teenage-sized humans to fit under a cloak. It's much more difficult. What does... How does Umbridge grill Hagrid? What does she want to know about his trip? How he got all, all, all messed up and what he's been doing and where he's been going. Hagrid's not totally forthcoming, though. What does he say was his, his actual purpose for his trip? Uh, 
says he was sightseeing. Oh. And she says, mm, sightseeing in the mountains? Yes, yes. So he's, he doesn't really have a good cover story for what his actual plans were. Hagrid's maybe not the best liar, right? Because he has a hard time keeping secrets anyway. Right. So this is probably a pretty difficult task for him. Maybe Dumbledore should have given him a cover story. Uh, chapter 21, The Eye of the Snake. That sounds very foreboding. Hermione is trying to convince Hagrid to stay on Umbridge's good side. What does she want Hagrid to do? Uh, in terms of the lessons he teaches. Uh, when uh, his cl- first class of the year is, Umbridge is going to expect it, probably inspect it, probably. So, um, so she a- she asks him not to bring anything dangerous in. Yeah, nothing deadly. And he says, well, I can't imagine anyone would rather study gnarls than chimeras. And a chimera is perhaps one of the most dangerous creatures, maybe next to a dragon. Part lion, part goat, part dragon or snake or something. Uh, I actually read about it in, um, in um, Fantastic Beasts and where, the find, and where to Find Them, the Muggle version. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says that it's like a five star... It's like a four or five star rating, which means super dangerous. It's like the most dangerous animal, yeah. So he wants to bring something that could definitely kill everybody. He just doesn't get it. Maybe because it couldn't kill him because he's so much bigger and stronger. But he's definitely not taking Hermione's advice. But he's hiding something in the Forbidden Forest. But he won't tell anybody. He says it's a surprise. Though, where does he take the students on their very first lesson after he returns? Into the forest. Into the forbidden forest. Keyword forbidden. Forbidden Stud- people. Students are not to go into the forbidden forest. How about you like capitalize that or something? Yeah, so Hagrid immediately takes them into a place that sounds dangerous and scary. And what are they there to see? Thestrals. They're there to th- see Thestrals. Finally, after all the times I've asked... Do you know why no one can see them and why Harry can see them? We finally know for sure. Finally, This is when it's revealed. So first of all, Umbridge does show up to inspect the lesson. So that's pretty bad. It's probably going to make Hagrid nervous. And when Hagrid's nervous, he does not perform his best. No. He doesn't perform well under pressure, uh, at least. And he's also very, you know, he's kind of always scared about consequences because he's already been... Uh, in prison, he's already been kicked out of school and imprisoned, and he's always scared of losing his job because of all these horrible people that are around the campus and whatnot. So finally, though, back to Thestrals. Really quickly, what again are Thestrals, and for once and for all, why can only a few students see them? Thestrals are the weird things that Harry and that Harry and Luna um, saw. Care um. Um, carrying the pulling, carriage, pulling, pulling, the carriage. pulling the carriages. What do they look like? They they look sort of like dead. Um, they sort of look like dead horses mm-hmm. with like no blood and ripped flesh. Yeah, kind of torn open and bony and leathery. Like I said in in the last episode, it's it, they sort of look like the Dementors' cloaks. Sure, and why can only certain students, including Luna and Harry? And Neville, and Neville apparently. apparently see them. And a slither and a Slytherin person. Why is that? Because um you can only see Thestrals if that per that particular person has seen death. Now, a big misconception 
And what some people think is a mistake in the Harry Potter world is that Harry can see the Thestrals because his parents died and he was there. And, but he couldn't see them before this year. Yeah, I also thought about that. But, so I read an interview with J.K. Rowling and she says that Harry did not see his parents die. He was a baby. He was in a crib. He was there. He was present. But he didn't actually see it happen. And the rule of the Thestrals is not just witnessing a death, but it's witnessing and fully understanding it. So the death that Harry saw, can you guess who it was? The one that made the Thestrals appear? Cedric, because that was was the end of last year, and the carriages don't take the students home. Well, actually, turns out the, the carriages could take them back to the train. But Harry did not see them that time either because uh, Rowling says that he had not fully processed what had happened to Cedric. So she says if a if you had witnessed a death and then looked directly at a Thestral, it might begin to fade into view as you understood the death. So who did Luna see die? Her grandfather? No, her mother. Oh. And... Neville saw his grandfather die. Oh. So, and then we don't know about the Slytherin girl. But that doesn't necessarily... Now, Hermione believes they're real because of all the studying she's done. But not everybody believes they're real, right? Right, because to most of the class, there's just nothing there. And they're perfectly happily accepting that their carriages are pulled by magic. So they're they're not confused by the carriages. They're not looking for an excuse. Umbridge also does not seem super impressed, correct? Right. And she, what does she think of Hagrid's lesson? Not only the, the subject matter, but also his teaching style. Mm, don't really remember. She, she treats him pretty badly. It makes it sound like he's not going to be around for too long. Probably that he's going to be sacked, maybe. Yeah, he's, so he he's nervous. He knows that she's not impressed. And the interesting thing is, so far, even though Umbridge is terrible, she has been fair in her teacher evaluations because she gave passing marks to Snape, who was a good but unkind teacher. She gave good marks to McGonagall, who is very good at her job. And, and she, she also probably gave good marks to Grubbly Plank. I don't know if we see her evaluate Grubbly Plank, but we do see her evaluate Trelawney negatively, and Trelawney is bad at her job. But Hagrid, who despite making weird choices about his lesson plan subject matter, is good at his job, but she is very cruel and harsh to him. Can you think of why? No. There is one thing that Umbridge hates, possibly more than muggles. Do you know what that is? Non-ministry approved stuff? No. Well, sure. But half human are not fully human creatures. What is Hagrid? A half giant. Yeah, she doesn't like giants. She doesn't like half giants. She doesn't like anything that isn't a full human, and she doesn't like any humans that aren't full wizards. So Hagrid is definitely not going to be her favorite choice for a teacher there, right? 
Right. She has prejudices that are making her judge him more harshly. So that's not good. Um, Christmas is coming up, and Harry has been invited to spend it with the Weasleys, but they have a DA meeting, and there is a, what sort of flower hanging from the ceiling? Mistletoe. It was decorated by Dobby, so I guess Dobby put it there for the kids. Also, um, um, D- Dobby um, definitely um, decorated it because he told because Har- somebody told Harry, and there there were ornaments all around that said "Have a very hairy Christmas." Oh, that's right, that's right. And I think he maybe takes them all down or something. I know he doesn't like them. He doesn't like. As much as Harry is always the center of attention, he doesn't like being the center of attention. Yeah, Harry takes them all down. And Dobby sort of worships Harry. Harry is his... Doesn't everybody. Not the way Dobby does. Uh, Dobby Dobby treats Harry like the biggest superstar in the world. Even if he is, Dobby treats him that way. And he's very enamored with Harry. Uh, So they they see all these decorations, and they learn from Angelina that Harry, Fred, and George have been replaced on the Quidditch team. Now they don't know if the team's going to be that great. But who's the new seeker? Ginny. How did Ginny learn to be good at Quidditch? Do you remember? Since the age of six, she's been stealing Ron, Fred, and George's brooms from the broom cupboard. Yeah, she's a little bit more sly than we thought. (laughs) She's certainly been a background character up until this point. Even when she was a primary focus of book two, she didn't really say anything till until the very end when we find out what's going on. So Ginny is showing herself to be uh, clever and resourceful and talented in a way that has not been displayed before. The people, the members of the DA are making progress in their defense against dark arts training and various other spells that they're learning. Everyone leaves after the meeting. Who's left in the room? Cho and Harry. Cho is upset. What is she upset about? Cedric's death. Yeah, she's still not over it, even though it's been uh, probably close to six months since that happened. Uh, she's she's still feeling pretty bad about it. Now, this is something you got to realize about teenagers: is of course Cedric's death was tragic, but but te- Cho, Cho and hang on just a second. Cho and Cedric only went out like twice. They weren't really like in love forever. They were just sort of teen in love, but of all the people to be upset about Cedric, I think Cho feels like she has the right to be the most upset, perhaps, right? Yeah, maybe, but it's also probably because, um, again, since um, they're teenagers, it's sort of like puberty is sort of happening, So it's always like drama, like every month or so. Now, granted, this is real drama, though. I mean, this is a real horrible, horrible thing. It, it's it's beyond nightmarish to have one of your friends murdered. That is true. So she has a right to be upset. But at the same time, I think we're meant to feel she's not upset because a kid died or because a friend died, but it's because her boyfriend died. And my thinking is that they really didn't even know each other that well. Of course, at this point, we know that Harry probably still has a crush on Cho and that Cho probably has a crush on Harry, but they don't know each other at all. They, they've really never had a conversation. In fact, they're about to have their first 
real alone conversation. That's true. And they talk about Cedric. They talk about how I think, you know, she's reassuring Harry that he's a good leader, perhaps something like that, like that she's she's pleased with his leadership of the D.A. And then what happens between them? Cho notices the mistletoe um, and and she kisses Harry. Yeah. So maybe Harry thinks, oh, maybe she's going to be my girlfriend now. I don't know. (laughs) Harry's pretty dumb in this area of expertise. He's he's pretty bad with understanding uh, girls and why they do anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he's not, he is a kind person, but he's not the most empathetic, which means he doesn't really understand why other people feel the way they do. Ron um, eventually says, maybe they should have a class um, on how the way gr- um, girls' brains think. <laughs> yeah, and that might be helpful, especially for Ron, who is even dumber about girls' hair. <laughs> Ron is aggressively... Uh, ignorant of the female mind and and doesn't even attempt to understand. He just considers them too confusing to understand and and doesn't worry about it. Mo- and that only gets worse as these books go forward. Mommy um said as we were reading this book when Ron says about the girl cl- class um um that if they had a class on how boys brain on on how boys brains think. Um, no offense to any guys out there, but she's. Um, but I guess this is just referring to Harry and Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, um, this is how the class would go. Mm-hmm. Durr. Yeah, maybe so. So Harry that night has a dream. Explain to me Harry's dream, and then what happens afterwards. Uh is. This the one where he feels like he wants to bite something? Yes. Okay, so um, he's on his stomach in a room um, with nothing in it but himself a ma- and a man sitting in a chair. Um, he's not really acting under his own mind because he feels like he wants to bite something because he wants blood. So he's... Um, he notices the man in the room, and he's like, oh, my God, I want to bite that dude. So he goes over there um, and starts biting him one, uh, not one, but two, three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the man um, get, um, falls out of the chair um, in, um, in pain because, obviously, Snake just bit him three times. And then Harry notices who it is. Who is it? Mr. Weasley. Arthur Weasley. And so then he wakes up. He is found by Ron, who is standing over him. Says, you're freaking out, man. Calm down. He immediately tells Ron, Ron, your dad's been attacked. I just bit him as a snake. They go get McGonagall, who is head of their house. And she immediately says she believes him and takes him to Dumbledore. It's probably not what Harry was expecting. Chapter 22 St. Mungo's Hospital. They arrive in Dumbledore's office. They hear voices already in the room, but they enter. And Harry explains to Dumbledore this horrible dream that he's had. Dumbledore has a very important question for Harry, though. What does he ask Harry? Um. He wants to know not just what happened in the dream, but how did you see it? Were you watching the snake or were you the snake? Like, were you just a viewer? Or and what? what does Harry tell him? I was the snake. That freaks Dumbledore out. 
And he immediately starts telling the portraits on the wall of, of other headmasters to run to their other portraits and other buildings. One of the headmasters, uh, Dillis, is has a, a, a second portrait in St. Mungo's, or uh, in the ministry. And he tells him, run to your other portrait, tell them that Arthur Weasley's just been attacked. He does that. He tells another one to go tell somebody else. He sends Fox off to send out a warning. And then he pulls out an odd silver instrument, taps it with his wand. Green smoke comes out. A snake forms. And he starts having a discussion with it. So Harry's just this one piece of information causes Dumbledore to fly into activity, just doing all sorts of stuff. But he's definitely not explaining anything to Harry still. Nope. The portrait of Dillis shows up and tells them what about Mr. Weasley? Did they find him? Uh, Yes, I think they do, and he's already in the hospital. No, they take him. They found him covered in blood. Oh. And they take him to the hospital. And uh, they've got, then they take him to St. Mungo's. McGonagall uh, is sent to go inform all the other Weasley children. And they're taken to St. Mungo's as well, and someone's got to tell Mrs. Weasley. And then Dumbledore takes out a uh, black kettle and performs a portis charm on it and uh, calls another headmaster, Phineas, who was a Slytherin headmaster, and gives him a message to deliver. He's still just sort of doing all this message sending and, and rousing of his troops, but he's... Also ignoring Harry, still. His name, uh, the portrait's uh, name is, uh, full name is Phineas Nigellus, and he's not very nice. He doesn't like Dumbledore, but he's still helping him out at this point. Uh, Portkeys take everyone away to Grimmauld Place. I wonder if you can't apparate into Grimmauld Place since it's hidden. Hmm. So they arrive in the basement kitchen. Sirius asks what happened, and Harry tells him, only again, that he was inside the snake. But he doesn't say that because Fred, George, and Ginny might think he somehow caused it. He's very confused about what's happening to him and what his part in all of this is, right? Right. So after they're at St. Mungo's and they're waiting uh, for hours, Mrs. Weasley arrives from the their equivalent of an operating room, I guess, and says that he's going to be all right. I believe she says if they had gotten there a minute later that he would not be all right. So Harry essentially, by having this horrible dream, saved his life. He would have just bled out otherwise. Harry tells Sirius about the dream and that he he didn't just want to kill this man that he saw, but what did he feel in the dream? Do you remember? Uh. He felt a flash of hate for Dumbledore. He didn't just want to attack Mr. Weasley, but he felt that he hated Dumbledore. Oh, I thought that was in the office. Uh, he tells Sirius this, so they're not in the office right now. Maybe he told Dumbledore, Dumbledore earlier. Uh, that The next morning in St. Mungo's, Tonks and Moody have showed up. Tonks wants to hear about Harry's vision, asking if he's got any seers in his bloodline. I don't think he would know, since he doesn't really seem to know anything about his family. What's Sears? A seer, like what Trelawney pretends to be. Oh, I thought you said a seer. I did say a seer. No. A seer. No, I thought you said seer. That's it. 
that's also a way to say it. So I don't, again, I don't think Harry knows. There are healers walking around. There's uh, warlocks in the waiting room, crowded reception area. It, it's basically just like a muggle hospital, except they don't use any medicine or surgery, right? Right, right. I would assume they're all just standing over Mr. Weasley making potions and tapping wands on his wounds and stuff. I, You know, we don't really see that aspect of it. Harry sees a portrait of Urquhart Rackharrow. Says he's the inventor of the entrail expelling curse. That seems awful. Seems like it's something that would make all your guts fly out. They see Mr. Weasley. He says he's fine. But the bleeding won't stop. So he can't leave yet. What do you think that means about the attack? It must have been some sort of magical snake because, like, it must have some special kind of poison in it that makes the bleeding not stop for a while. Yeah, he's got to take this blood replenishing potion, which sounds horrible. That he, you know, he's he's still losing a lot of blood and he just kind of has to sit there and bleed. Uh, that 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 seems pretty bad. They see someone who's been bitten by a werewolf. And I was unaware that there might be medical treatment for that. As we know, our other character who was bitten by a werewolf just has to be a werewolf every month. Yeah, Lupin, he just takes a potion that lets him keep his mind. And there's another witch there who was bit by something. Oh, that's right. The reason all these people were bit, by the way, is that they are in the ward of the hospital that is for like, it's called like the, the particularly bad bites ward or something like that. So apparently it's a common wizard malady to be bitten by something. I guess when you're dealing with werewolves and dragons and creatures and various other things, maybe plants that could bite your head off and stuff. (laughs) So they have a whole ward of the hospital just for bites. This one witch doesn't want to say what bit her. So they're thinking that it must have been something illegal. Maybe she's a dark witch. Or maybe she brought something like somewhere near... Um, like her house or something that was illegal. Um, is this the point where we see that man that uh, that didn't know how to talk? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, the kids are sent out of the room, and Tonks and Moody come in, but the kids use Fred and George's what? Extendable ears. And Moody has got a particular fear that he voices that they overhear. What does Moody think might be happening? Moody wonders if Harry is possessed by Voldemort. Oh. And that's a pretty scary thought, right? Yeah, Ginny eventually talks to him about that. I think that happens in our next chapter, which is chapter 23. Christmas. On the closed ward. On the closed ward. Harry's back at Grimmauld Place. Uh, Mrs. Weasley is certainly fretting and worried about him. Harry, at this point, is convinced that he is he is Voldemort's weapon, that he is a secret uh, spy that he, he has no control over his body and that maybe he is going to be doing evil things in service of Voldemort. But at this point, we don't know. He could be right. He thinks he is spying on the Order of the Phoenix, which is certainly something he doesn't want to do. Might explain why Dumbledore's not talking to him. Right? Maybe. Phineas Nigellus shows up in his frame and talks to Harry. He has a message from Dumbledore telling him, stay put. Harry has another dream about the corridor, and what's? Do you remember what's different this time in the dream? This time, he sees uh, he sees that the door is cracked a little. 
And also, every time he has this dream, it's clearer and clearer. So, the dream about Weasley came true. The dream about a snake attacking Mr. Weasley was happening right then. Is it safe to assume that the dreams he's having now are not the same dream over and over, but they are things that are happening right now? Maybe. I would think so. If It's not a repeat of the Weasley snake dream. So, this corridor he's seeing... If he if he's seeing it through Voldemort's eyes or through the snake's eyes, it must be happening every night. It's a real thing. He's not just dreaming it, but he doesn't know what's really happening. Uh, at Christmas... Wait, doesn't he see what's inside the door? Mm, I, I don't think, know. I think he does. What What do you remember him seeing? I think that he's, um, he, see, he remembers um, that... Wait, I don't think he's... You're right, you're right. He doesn't see inside it, but he does remember, um, he does eventually remember, I think it's this time, um, where he's seen this before. Like, this time, he's running down the corridor with Mr. Weasley, um, um, but then he stops at the door because he notices it's cracked. Then he realizes he's been there actually before. When was he there? Uh, when he was going to his trial, he realizes that that's the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, it's a corridor that he looked down but didn't actually go down. But he recognizes the the layout, the design of it. So, again, perhaps he's seeing things that are always actually happening. Uh, Christmas has rolled around, and Hermione has been with her parents for a week or so skiing. This is something that we were talking about earlier today that, whoa, pick that up. There we go. We realize now that Hermione, since she left for school at age 11, has only spent about a week or two with her parents every year and from here on out spends even less time with them because she spends all her summers with the Weasleys and her Christmases with Harry and the Weasleys and whatnot. Her, and she doesn't have a phone. She can write letters home, but her parents have zero contact essentially with their daughter. That's pretty weird, right? That seems pretty awful. I mean, I want to see you guys like every day. <laughs> well, I feel like even though boarding school is a real thing, I feel like maybe one of the things they leave out in these books or that Rowling leaves out in these books is that characters like Hermione should probably have more involvement with her actual parents than with everyone else's parents and teachers and, and whatnot. Uh, it seems like her parents would get upset at never seeing their child, right? I would get upset too. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little. It's just one of those things that they pro- she probably didn't have time to add all this in, but it it doesn't ring true. It doesn't seem as realistic when you think about the fact that she only sees her parents for a week or less a year. They start opening their gifts, and I believe uh, Fred and George show up and say. Mrs. Weasley is crying. Do you remember what happens to Mrs. Weasley that makes her so upset? Uh, Mr. Weasley still isn't out of the mm, hospital? Well, in addition to that, it's something about Percy. Uh, what did Percy do with the gift they sent him? Oh, that's right. He sent it back. Didn't even open it. Sent it back. I'm so mad at my parents. I don't even want to know what the gift is. She is upset because not only is he a little brat, but he's her brat. He's a little mean jerk that she made and she doesn't know what she's done wrong or how she might be able to fix it. 
At least he's not a mini Voldemort. Well, he's a mini Fudge at this point, which is maybe second to being a mini Voldemort. He's he's up to no good. So everyone exchanges their gifts. They have a gift for Creature, and they find his little under-stairs cupboard that he lives in, even smaller than the one that Harry grew up in. Yeah, I think he lives in like something as big as like the dishwash cupboard. And they see a portrait that he's squirreled away in his little hole. Do you remember who it is? Um, it's a picture of um what's her first name? Bellatrix. Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, so it looks like maybe something that was thrown out perhaps by Sirius. That creature saved from the cr- the trash because the glass is broken. And Everything we know so far about Bellatrix is that she's no good, but it sounds like Creature has a special liking for her. Yeah, an affinity of some kind for her. So that worries me about Creature living in the house with the Order if he's loyal to someone who is a Death Eater. They go to St. Mungo's and they're waiting in the reception area. They're joined by Bill and they go see Mr. Weasley. Uh, I think this is where, let's see, Mr. Weasley's trying to get Stitches to close his wound. Oh, this is interesting. He wants to get Stitches because this is a muggle remedy, and that's not something they would normally do. It's interesting to think that with all their magic, they can't stop his bleeding, but maybe if they just sewed it up, it would stop. So in in a lot of ways, the wizard technology and wizard medicine is better than ours, and in some ways, not so much, right? Right. They they kind of ignore the ways that we do things so much that they're completely ignorant to what might be obvious solutions. And of course, he wants to do it because he's obsessed with muggles, right? Yeah. So everybody but Mrs. Weasley goes up to the tea room on the fifth floor, and... Is this where Jane talks to Harry? They're on the spell damage floor. This is where they run into Lockhart with his healer. And yeah, what, that's, that's what they call doctors. What state is Lockhart in at this point? Uh, he remembers some stuff, but not all of it. He, they say that he has made some recovery, but he will never make a full recovery. Right, um, and, and, the, and the healer says that um, hopefully he's getting his memory back a little bit more for his liking of autographs. Yeah, he asks if people want his autograph, but he doesn't know why. Uh, an interesting thing to point out here is when his memory charm backfires and erases his memory, the first thing that happens is someone, one of the kids calls him Professor Lockhart, and he says, I was a professor? I must have been awful at it because he knows that he's, he's lost all of his memories, but his core self is still there. He knows that he would be a bad teacher and he is a bad teacher. He's a liar and a fraud. At this point, he's begun to regain what she says, not as so much as memories, but his personality. So this veneer of celebrity that he's put over himself over the years. So the first thing he asks is if they want his autograph, they again refer to him as professor Lockhart. But his his reaction is very different. Do you remember what he says this time around? No. He says, oh, I taught you at school. I must have taught you everything you know. Yeah. So 
as he's begun to regain his personality, he, is he becoming more or less likable? Less. He's becoming more like his old self, which one thing that Rowling has always said is that he will never regain his memories, but that he's happier where he is. And I think she might also mean that the world is happier where he is. I, I, I kind of I kind of liked him better when uh, when he lost all his memory. Yeah, he, his he was not helping the world; he was making it worse. He was like, "Do you live here?" <laughs> yeah. So he, oh yeah, at the hospital. Yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't really know where he is or why he's there. Why anyone else would be there? They run into Neville and his grandmother, and Neville seems a little bit embarrassed. His grandmother is ashamed of that. What does his grandmother say? He's, um, she says that he shouldn't be ashamed of his parents. Yeah, you shouldn't be ashamed of your parents, Frank and Alice Longbottom. As we know, they were oars. Yeah, and they got tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange. The person who Creature's obviously very fond of. So that's another bad sign for Creature. They were members of the original order. They were oars. They... We're very brave, but they are now in what state? We do actually, at this point, I think we see Neville's mother very briefly. Yeah, they're kind of crazy, but they still, le- um, but they still know that they love Neville. Thankfully. They don't even really know who Neville is, but they understand that they like him. Neville's not really able to have conversations with them. They are in a state of dementia. Do you know what dementia is? No. Sort of where you have no concept of what, who you are, why you are, where you are, what reality is. You're just awake and breathing and confused. Oh, so, um, sort of like if you had the Dementor's Kiss, except um, except you're not confused, you're just nothing. Uh, similar, yes. It's, it, it is kind of like having your, your essence bleeded away. Chapter 24, wait, wait. yes? Um, I think that um, that um, Neville's mom like gives him a bunch of gum wrappers for some reason. There's an interesting story behind that uh, that I read. Uh, the, the thing that J.K. Rowling says about that is that uh, the thing that has happened to Neville's parents, even though it is magical, is very similar to a real disease called Alzheimer's. You ever heard of that? No. Alzheimer's is a a progressive disease that some people get when they're much older that kind of starts to leave them in that state. It starts with bad memory, and then it ends with them sort of being like Neville's parents, where they don't know who they are. They can't remember anything for very long at all. I hope that you don't end up like that. I hope no one does, but it's it's a bad disease if somebody gets it. And she had heard a story from a friend about visiting a parent with Alzheimer's. And the only way that they could relate is the friend would give the parent uh, candy. And so she built that into this story. The only reason that this person's parent remembered them fondly is because you're the person that brings me candy. So it's sad that you know the parent could no longer remember the love for their child all they could remember was i like getting candy so she put that as sort of a secret you know nod to a, a friend in this book that most people probably wouldn't understand unless they'd read this interview but the the thing that she's implying is that they don't really remember neville they only remember that he brings her candy 
And she gives him back the wrappers, though, as a thank you, because she wants to give him something, but she doesn't really know what she's doing. And even though it's just trash, Neville keeps it because it's from his mother. Right. Right. I also think that after this, this is a point where we meet that man. What man? The person who gets like a plant for a gift at Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, I think it looks like he gives him, uh, um, that the healer gives him, um, like from a friend, a present that is a plant, um, but it looks like sort of like a dried up but also slimy cactus. Gross. Do we is that but is that important for any reason or is that just a detail that you remember? I don't remember this guy. Uh that's important sometime later. Oh, okay. It's in the newspaper, I think. Okay, I don't remember, but uh I guess we will find out. So, chapter 24, Occlumency. Kind of hard, hard time to say. To, yeah, it's a hard one to say. Uh creature turns up again and seems to have been lurking in the attic, but he's in a better mood than before which worries me. Uh, anything that makes Creature happy is probably not great for everybody else. And, it's, and I have a feeling it's probably not the present. Sirius goes singing through the halls. He's in a good mood. Uh, he goes and, and I think he gives some presents to Buckbeak or spends some time with Buckbeak and sings a song about Buckbeak. At Grimmauld Place, Harry is called to talk to Professor Snape in the kitchen. For some reason, this causes Sirius and Snape to get in a fight. Do you remember what happens? No. This is the point where there's, I think, a letter from Dumbledore that says that Sirius is going to be teaching Harry occlumency. You mean Snape. Snape is going to be teaching Harry occlumency. What is occlumency? It's a defense against people getting into your mind. Now, can you think of, I mean, it, it's not spelled out, but why might Sirius think this is a bad idea? Um, don't know. I think it may have to do partly with a distrust of Snape, because to teach someone how to keep people out of your mind, I would assume you have to get in their mind. So maybe he doesn't want Snape in Harry's mind. Uh, maybe he just hates Snape so much that he doesn't want him doing anything with Harry, or maybe he thinks that he's the one that should be teaching him. I don't know. It's not spelled out. But they do almost get into a wizard fight. Harry breaks them up. Uh, as Mr. Weasley shows up, and how is Mr. Weasley's condition at this point? He's a little bit better. He's actually completely cured at this point. They've fixed him up good. And Mr. Weasley was mad at... Um, uh, I mean, sorry, Mrs. Weasley was actually mad at Mr. Weasley for trying... Um, for trying to get stitches, but it actually worked, so. Now, as they leave uh, the next day for the night bus to take them back to Hogwarts, Sirius gives Harry a gift. Do you remember what he gives him? Uh, it's not another pin knife, is it? I don't think so. He says it's a way of letting him know if Snape is giving him a hard time. Oh. I don't actually remember what the item is yet, but it's not revealed yet. I don't think he's even opened it. Hmm. They take the night bus. Oh, that's right. He's told not to open it until he's at Hogwarts. Oh, okay. Uh, Stan Shunpike, the conductor of the night bus, tells Harry that they don't believe the stories about Harry. I don't. I don't know to what stories they are referring at this point. Because there's a lot of stories about Harry at this point. Right. Uh, the ride is is pretty bad. 
but they they finally get uh, through Hogsmeade and back to Hogwarts. They bid Tonks and Lupin adieu and uh, head back to school. Tonks tells Harry, you should really practice your occlumency. And that Snape is very good at this. This is interesting because we know that Snape has been a spy before. So maybe that's why Snape has gotten good at keeping people out of his mind. Possibly. He's already acted as a spy for the for the order in the past. And Dumbledore did not find him out. I mean not Dumbledore, uh Voldemort did not find him out. So perhaps he trained himself in occlumency to keep Voldemort out. Maybe he's even better at that than Voldemort is. Hmm. We don't know. Harry talks to Cho, and what do they decide to do? They decide to meet at the next Hogsmeade weekend. And for what, though? Um, uh, for basically, in, um, in different words, they say, um, do you want to go on a date? Yeah, they, they want to go on a Valentine's Day date. Again, they don't really know each other. They just assume this is the next step. They've had a kiss. Maybe they should have a date. We'll see what happens. We uh, head into Snape's office. Oh, also Hermione asks Harry to meet her um, um, on Hogsmeade as well. Oh, that's right, but not for a date. Uh, no. <laughs> so they head into Snape's office for the first Occlumency lesson. Dumbledore's Pensieve is in Snape's office. Perhaps that's something that he's using to practice getting memories from Harry or something. But he, he says the reason this is so important is because Voldemort is a skilled legilimens. What is a, what is a legilimens or legilimency? It's the op- opposite of occlumency. Do you remember? Uh, no. Legilimency is the ability to extract things out of somebody else's mind. Oh. And Voldemort is good at that. So if Voldemort is going to be trying to extract things with legitimacy, then Harry needs to use occlumency to protect himself. Right. right? So Snape takes some of his memories out and puts them in the pensieve. Now, this is interesting. They're going to connect minds in this lesson. Why might Snape take out some of his memories before they do that? Oh, I get it. So that way, um, um, Harry, um, uh, if it backfires on Snape, he doesn't, he doesn't see anything that he might not want Harry to see. Yeah, exactly. So this means that there is something about Snape's past that he doesn't even want in his head. If Harry is going to be swimming around in there, if there's any chance that Harry's going to see it, he's got a secret so important that he must keep it from Harry. That's very important to remember going forward. It doesn't really come up again in this book, but it's very clever. It's a very clever thing to write and also a very clever clever thing for the character to do. So anyway, he, he tosses a few memories in the pensieve. He feels safe. Snape uses a Lodgellermans to enter Harry's mind. And Harry starts reliving memories. Snape can see them. Uh, do you remember what some of the memories are? Wait, Harry can see Snape's? Snape can see Harry's memories because he is oh, that's right. peering into his head. I think it's... 
Is it the corridor thing again? No, he sees some of Harry's biggest memories of, of school. He sees the sorting hat. He sees the time that Hermione got turned into a cat. He sees all the Dementors in the lake before Harry did the big Patronus. Uh, Harry is able to break the invasion when the memory of Cho and the mistletoe comes up. Why do you think that one is where Harry gets serious about it? Because like, no, that's private. Don't look at that. No. Yeah, he doesn't want him to peer into his private business. And in all honesty, I, I don't think I would have agreed to this in the first place. Someone says, hey, I'm really good at sucking memories out of your head. Uh, let's go play. I, I'm sure Harry's got plenty of stuff that he does. He might not tell his best friends, much less Snape, who he probably considers to be someone on the very bottom of his Liking friends this. list. Yeah, he's not. There, there's probably not a whole lot about Harry that he would willfully tell Snape. So I think maybe Harry doesn't realize what he's gotten himself into here. But he does. He breaks. He, he does his first bit of occlumency when Snape starts peering into his memories of kissing Cho. Wait, doesn't somebody, like, force him to do it? Um, I don't believe anyone else is involved in this other than the two of them. So Snape tells Harry that he must repel him with his brain and not resort to his wand. They try it again, and this time there are memories of a black dragon, of his parents waving at him from a mirror, which obviously we know is the mirror of Erised. That. Those are goodish memories. But then also a memory of Cedric uh, lying dead on the ground. So it's not just good or bad things. It's things that were big, I think. Things that had a big impact on him. And they they keep practicing. Uh, Another time, he remembers how Mr. Weasley was leading him through a corridor. And suddenly, he... He's down on the floor again. Let's see. Um... He realizes the corridor he's been dreaming about. This is the point you were thinking of. This is where he realizes that he was in the ministry. And this is not a fake place. And he asks Snape, what's in the Department of uh, Mysteries? But Snape sends him away. Snape. Snape sends him away. So it's almost as if they start making uh, progress. But... um. Um, Harry does actually get into Snape's mind like a reverse curse, sort of. Mm, not yet. What? We're not there yet. Oh. And actually, it's important to point out that when Snape says, repel me with your mind, not your wand, do you remember how Harry repelled Snape when he started looking into his memories of Cho? No. He used a stinging hex, so he didn't even realize it, but he he managed to like pull out his wand and... and sort of not quite stun, but sting Snape to keep him out of his memories. Oh. But he says, that's not the way we do this. You you need to do it with your brain powers and not your wizard powers. But so. guess what? He didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> it was out of his control. But it also shows that Harry is skilled at defending himself with magic. If he can produce a, a stinging hex without even trying to, it's sort of just a instinctual reaction at that point. Uh, Harry finds Ron and Hermione in the library and tells them that he now realizes that this corridor is in the Ministry of Magic. And back in the common room, Fred and George are are selling more of their, you know, Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes. They have a new one. Do you remember what it is? Uh, 
skiving snack boxes. Not that one. This is a special kind of hat. Oh, that's right. It's a hat that when you put it on, it makes your head disappear. Under what circumstance could you use this hat to get out of a test where you're like, oh, no, I got to go to the doctor. My head's disappeared. (laughs) Maybe that's a common thing that happens to wizard children. Maybe you uh, do a potion wrong and your head disappears and they have to go help you put it back on. Or maybe it's just a prank. Maybe this is not something they use to get out of class, but something they would use just to pull a joke on your friend or something. Skiving hat boxes. Yeah. So Harry goes up to his room. Uh, When he enters, he hears crazy laughter and his ears start ringing and then he feels super happy and then he blacks out. When it's over, Ron finds him. What does he tell Ron has just happened? He knows how Voldemort feels now. And Voldemort feels very happy, but why? It's still vague, but he tells him it's because something he's been hoping for has finally happened. Oh. So he knows that Voldemort has whatever his plan is. You know, we know that from this prophecy or whatever we found out earlier, that there was something he needed that he didn't have before. So we know that he's looking for it. We now know that in one way or another, it involves the Ministry of Magic. We know that Arthur was in his way because he took out Arthur with the snake. So whatever's going on, he's made progress and he's happy about it. And happiness for Voldemort is not good. Yeah, it spells sadness for everybody else. Chapter 20. Sadness and death. Likely, yeah. So. Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay. Uh, They finally find out why Voldemort was so happy. The next day, the Daily Prophet has an article uh, about some Death Eaters. What happened to these Death Eaters? Um, These are all Death Eaters that were in Azkaban. Where are they now? Oh, that's right. Ten Death Eaters from Azkaban escaped from M. Um, escaped from Azkaban. Almost all of these names are names that we've heard before in various uh, memories and stories, uh, many of them during the trials that we watched in book four. This was the newspaper I was thinking of earlier. Okay, so we've got Dollarhov. We've got uh, Augustus Rockwood. That's somebody that, uh, what's his name? Uh, What's the guy from? uh, Kekarov. Kekarov. That was one of the guys that he was trying to give up. And uh, who else who we've just been recently been talking about? Bellatrix Lestrange. She's escaped now. She's on the loose. This is no good. Uh, the, news, the news article also, or the newspaper also has an article about Broderick Bode, who was found dead at St. Mungo's, strangled by a plant. That's what you were thinking about. Yes, that's what I was talking about. He got, he got that as a Christmas gift, but we didn't know who it was from. And it turned out it was... Um, What's it called? Devil's Snare. It was the thing in book two that Hermione knew how to get away uh, from, which was by not struggling. Number one. Oh, yeah, book one. That Hermione knew how to get away from by not struggling, and perhaps this guy in St. Mungo's did not know. They expect it was his healer who killed him, and Hermione thinks he was murdered, and she runs off. She has an idea and thinks, I, I got to go do some research. That's what Hermione always does. Is She has an idea... Runs to do research. Answer for everything. And she's almost always right. So it's a good lesson for you. <laughs> it's when you have a problem, 
before you act, maybe do some research, get more information before you make your decision on what to do. We learn about Hagrid's status as a teacher. What is going on with Hagrid right now? Uh, is he, uh, does he get his report from Umbridge? He does, or? and he's on probation, which means like one more mistake and he'll be sacked. Uh. So word starts to spread about the Death Eater's escape. Susan Bones, who we know is related to somebody in the ministry. Uh, it's um, another Susan Bones. <laughs> uh, mentions that her uncle, aunt, and cousins had all died at the hands of Death Eaters. And that's pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, while they're in, they're talking about this while they're in herbology. Umbridge announces another decree which states that students, uh, that teachers cannot give students, let me read this because this is, announces another decree which states teachers cannot give students non-subject related, oh, lessons, right, which means she must know about the occlumency lessons, right? Right, um, but um, friend George also tease her about that and say, um, um, well, that means that um, um, that you can't um, tell us not to use our jokes or something. Yeah, I don't understand the logic behind that. He says we, you can't tell us off for playing Exploding Snap in the back of class. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. I'd have to like reread that chapter to know. No, I think that I think that means like since that's not related to class, then it's okay for us to play. I guess. Yeah, I still don't understand what they're saying there. But he gets the same punishment Harry got, which is what? A writing lines on your hand. <laughs> which carves the lines into your hand, scratches them. I think it's implied that the first time you do it, it's like a scratch. The second time you do it, it's a deeper scratch. And then by the time you're done, it's bleeding. It's like a scar, right? Right. And it doesn't heal up as quickly. But... If you want it to heal faster and not hurt as bad, Harry has a recommendation for him. Do you remember what it is? I don't remember the potion, but um, um, you like soak your hand in it. Yeah, it's essence of Mertlap. He got the idea from Hermione. And so now everyone is getting this horrible line writing on flesh punishment. But this uh, method of soothing it is going around the school as well. So... That's good. It's and still bad. bad. It's still bad while it's happening. It's good and bad. But at least they know how to make it heal faster. Yeah. Uh, at divination and care of magical creatures, uh, all the classes now are inspected by Umbridge because she's just looking for a reason to be with Harry. To f- well, hmm, maybe not. She's looking for a reason to fire Hagrid and Trelawney. Well, she wants to be there for every class. So the moment they make a mistake. She can write it down and have reason to fire them, right? Uh, yeah, but she is always in the class with Harry. That's true. And now it could be argued that that's because it's a book and because we need to see what happens. And since we're watching everything from Harry's viewpoint, things that do not happen to Harry are not in the book, you know? Uh. So that's a possibility. Uh, she's constantly interrupting Trelawney and grilling her about things that she doesn't know anything about just waiting for her to show her that she's not, to show Umbridge that she's not fit to teach. Hagrid is also not doing so great at being inspected, right? Right. At our next DA meeting, everyone's getting better. Um, Who, surprisingly, 
has made better progress than everybody? Um, Certainly someone that we would not expect to be a powerful wizard. Is it Flitwick? Flitwick's not in the DA. Oh, oh, I didn't hear what you said about the DA. We're in a DA practice. Who has made the most progress, surprisingly? Uh, is it Neville? It is Neville. Neville's been working night and day learning jinxes and counter curses and everything that Harry taught them. He wants to be good at this. Neville is known for not being great at a lot of things, just, you know, being kind of an average kid and occasionally making a lot of mistakes. So Right, because um because he even got a remember all in book one. So he's actually second only to Hermione in doing certain charms. And so he's really he's actually getting good. Uh Harry notices new irritation in his scar, and it's happening almost constantly. And how often is he having this dream of the corridor? Uh Every night? Every single night. Sounds like you're about to have a dream of a corridor. Are you about to pass out? <laughs> We've only got one more chapter to go. Do you think you can make it? I could make it through two more. All right, we'll try one. Let's see how far we get. Two. So Hermione or Harry is dreaming of this corridor every night. And like we said, these dreams are likely not replays of one event, but a new event every night, which means... And that's obviously bad. And we, now we know what's in the ministry. So if Harry is seeing through the eyes of a snake, that means the snake is in the ministry every night. Uh, why are there not more guards at the ministry? Like, that's bad, no matter what. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, the ministry is obviously in, in a poor state right now where it's probably easier for Voldemort to gain access than ever before because of Fudge's mismanagement and paranoia and all the problems he's having and causing, I would assume. Uh, on Valentine's Day, Harry, uh, let's see, on Valentine's Day, after Hermione receives a letter, she asks him to meet her in the three broomsticks at three o'clock. He meets with Cho before that. Do you think that is um, thoughtful of Harry? To have his date right before his friend meeting with Hermione? No. I would imagine that Harry doesn't realize it because he's dumb about girls. <laughs> but if you said, oh, yeah, let's meet at two. I got another thing to do at three with one of my friends. So we can have our date real quick. And then, you know, I got to go. That probably doesn't make Cho feel that special, right? No. Perhaps on Valentine's because Day. Maybe that makes him uh, her feel like just another friend. And they, they both know it's supposed to be a date, but I don't think either of them know what they're expected to do. But Harry certainly has already made things worse before it even started. Uh, I think on a Valentine's Day date and a first date, Harry should probably split, plan to maybe spend the whole day with her or at least a bit more time paying attention to her. But like, instead, he's scheduled it between meetings with Hermione. Like, maybe um, um, you could, like... Um, you could say like, um, how about we have our meeting at like, I, I mean, how about we go to Hogsmeade at like 3.30 or something? He should have met with Hermione first and then spent time with yeah, that's, Cho. that's what I'm saying. I agree. That, I, th I think that would go a longer way to make Cho feel special on this 
special day. So they're having coffee and conversation between Harry and Cho. They talk about Quidditch. They find out that we find out as an audience that Wood, our old captain, is now a professional Quidditch player for Puddlemere United. But how does their overall conversation go? They're both kind of confused, and neither of them really know what to do. There are long periods of silence as well. And this is kind of where we understand that they don't really know each other at all. They've never really had a conversation, right? Yeah, and then um, they, um, they realize what's happening around them. Would you like me to tell you something about what will happen to you and what happens to every teenager when they are about this age? Sure. Teenagers at this age find that they like someone uh, almost primarily based on how they look. That's not really the best choice. And they often use that as a reason to transcend reason for actually finding out why they might like somebody. So uh, they don't tend to find people they are emotionally compatible with. They don't tend to find people that they are mentally or intellectually compatible with. They just tend to go with who they think is cute. And sometimes that can mean your physical appearance, or it could also mean I like what I saw you do. Like, like let's say someone was really into Quidditch and they saw that Harry was really good at Quidditch. They might think, oh, I like Harry because he's so good at Quidditch. But then they find out they have nothing in common. That is par for the course for most teenage relationships. Or maybe if you were a muggle and, um, like, you saw somebody, um, like, um, help at the animal center or something, then you're like, oh, I like them because they help with the animals. See, that's actually a better reason to like somebody. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I am happy that perhaps your brain already works this way and you would look at people for... Uh, what's what they're really about, what's really inside them, what they care about. Because if you liked animals and they liked animals, then you might actually have something in common. But if you say, oh, he's a sports star, and I think that's impressive, then you find out he's also rude and disrespectful and and unkind and doesn't like animals, then you tur- it turns out you don't have anything in common. And so Harry and Cho, I think, are infatuated with each other. Perhaps they don't even know why. Perhaps it's how they look. Perhaps it's what Harry is up to. Perhaps it's their limited options. There's not a lot of kids there of the same age, you know? And so Harry might look across this whole sea of, uh, what year are they? Fourth year Hogwarts girls and go, well, of these, this is the one I like the best, I guess. Mm. But they don't know. They don't know. So they have an awkward uneventful and maybe slightly embarrassing conversation. And then Harry says, all right, cool. I got to go talk to Hermione. Um, but they also realize what's happening around them. What's happening around them. Um, they, they realize that it's like all, um, like all of it is, um, decorated with like hearts by the owner of the shop. Um, um, but also, like, oh, this is when they go to put, uh, Madame Puttafoot's. Yeah, is a different store. Sure. Oh, uh, aren't they already in there? I thought they met at. Oh, that's true. Well, no, 
Yeah, they met at the Three Broomsticks, right? No. Oh, no, he has to meet Hermione at the Three Broomsticks. Yeah. You're right. Go ahead. Um, so then they realize that, like, every table there is full, but also with only two people, and every table, um, um, people are kissing. Yeah, it's it's a Valentine's Day setup. Everyone there is on a date. The place is decorated for lovey-dovey stuff, and they're not necessarily fitting in with the crowd, right? Not really. So they also see uh, earlier a poster announcing rewards for all the missing Death Eaters. What do they notice and think is strange about this Death Eater escape versus Sirius's escape? What's missing? Yeah. Who was searching for Sirius everywhere? The Dementors. Who's searching for the Death Eaters? Basically, no one. Right. So... So it's... Um, does the ministry seem like they actually want to catch these Death Eaters? Not really, but, like, there's, like, um, there's, like, 10,000... There's, like, 10,000 Death Eaters, at least, roaming around everywhere in well, the visitor world. Well, there's 10. Well, There's <laughs> a big difference in 10 and 10,000, but... <laughs> But it's not just one guy, it's ten guys, so obviously it's more dangerous than what they thought Sirius was. No, I mean ten thousand um I I mean ten thousand Dementors. Oh Dementors. Uh yeah, we don't know how many Dementors there are. There are at least hundreds, because there were hundreds at the lake. Yeah. So yeah, where is the ministry? Uh when it comes to actually finding these Death Eaters? Like- or is the ministry the ones who let him go? We don't know. That's I, yeah, I I I already thought of that. I think it is safe to assume at this point that you are unable to trust the ministry uh, either because Fudge has lost his mind and or because Voldemort has somehow infiltrated it. So, for instance, why is Voldemort's snake able to slither through the ministry every night undetected? Why is no one guarding these hallways and corridors? Why are they so powerless against these things unless they're not actually trying to stop them? So then they do have their awkward conversation. Uh, Harry goes to the three broomsticks to meet Hermione. What does Cho think about this? Um, she, she feels... Oh, you know what? Actually, we, we skipped ahead. They do start to talk. Harry mentions that he has to go meet Hermione. Right. And then what happens with Cho? Um, Cho then, um, um, uh, feels kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Jealous? Jealous, yeah. Yeah, she gets upset, and then she starts talking about Cedric, and then she she just leaves. Uh, also, um, to try and make Harry jealous, um... Um, he looks over at what, um, she looks over at one table and notices, um, one kid, um, and says, he, he asked me out once. Yeah. So she's like, oh yeah, you you got other girls in your life. I got other dudes in my life. So I guess don't worry about me. Uh, and then she storms off. She's crying. Cho's been emotional all year. Harry mentions earlier before they kiss that she's always crying and they assume it's about Cedric. Uh, then she's gone. How how does how did their date go? Pretty pretty 
confusing. I would say it was a disaster. Like, at first they were confused um, and kind of embarrassed. Um, and then the end of their date was a disaster. I would say overall their romantic involvement has been uh, anywhere from uneventful to disastrous. I think they peaked at that kiss and it's going to be downhill from here. Harry heads off to the Three Broomsticks to meet Hermione. He sees Hagrid, and they start to talk about uh, random stuff. And then Hermione is there with Luna and Rita Skeeter. This is certainly an unlikely pair. Who is Rita Skeeter, and why is it so odd for her to be there with Hermione and Luna? Well, last year, Hermione figured out um, how she was getting all her stories. She's an unregistered animagus, um, um, and she can turn into a beetle. Um, So she was sneaking off as a beetle and listening to everything that people say. Yeah, so basically, though, what we know is that she writes untrue articles. She makes up facts. She elaborates on things that are not real and and manipulates people with her articles. Well, some of some of the stuff that that she writes is actually true, it's just mean. Mm, she uses words to make things that are true seem negative for the people that she's writing them about. She just wants readers. She doesn't care about actually doing good. Uh particularly odd that she's with Hermione because Hermione is the one that found her out. Hermione is the one that she wrote a mean article about saying that Harry was in love with her, but double timing her with someone else or that she would know that she was double timing Harry with crumb, even though she wasn't dating Harry at all. Uh, and then Hermione is the one that captured her in a jar. So now we know that at some point Hermione has let her out. I, I used to wonder like, did she just keep her on a shelf forever as a prisoner? Okay. Uh, if, if she did that, she would, um, it, she would at least have to make up a story of of where Rita, either where Rita Skeeter, um, Skeeter is, don't or don't or don't say anything, and just feed her. <laughs> and it's also odd that Luna is there because Harry, Luna, uh, Hermione doesn't seem to dislike Luna, but she also doesn't seem to care for her. She just thinks she's loony, right? Right. It's like it's like not. Tr- uh, it's like. Um, you're not trying to do something, but you're also not trying to not do it. So what is the purpose for Hermione getting these people together with Harry? Um, to find out the um, the real story behind um, Cedric's death, I guess. Sort of. Why? Why is it important for Luna to be there? Honestly, that I have no idea. Well, what does Luna's father do? She writes, I mean, he writes the Quibbler. And do you think the Daily Prophet will publish Harry's story? No. So why is it important for Luna to be there? Um, Oh, so so she knows that um, she should put this in the Quibbler and tell her dad. And why is it important for Rita Skeeter to be there? Because Hermione's going to to force her to do it. Otherwise, um, she'll say, um, she'll um, tell everybody that she's a beetle. Well, that's close. The reason it's important for Rita Skeeter to write this in the Quibbler is that no one takes the Quibbler seriously. But they do, and they have in the past, taken Rita Skeeter seriously. Rita, Rita has fans. 
So if she writes it in the quibbler, then people may actually read it. But Hermione's point is you need to tell your side of the story about Voldemort's return. Everyone's talking about you and you're not talking about anything. So let's at least get it out there, whether they believe it or not. It's better than them not knowing what you think happened, right? Someone's going to believe him. Maybe half the people will believe him, right? Yeah. So chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen. Luna says she doesn't know when the next Quibbler is going to come out uh, because her dad has got an important article to write about crumple-horned snorkaks. Which obviously aren't real. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Well, she made up the Nargles. We don't know that. Mommy does. Well, we'll see. Uh, That means they are real, doesn't it? Hermione explains to Harry what went wrong with his date. Harry is clueless, right? Uh, Yeah. He can't figure out what, what what could I have possibly done differently besides have an awkward conversation and then talk about you uh, to to this other girl. And she's like, you dumb. You're an an idiot with girls. So I don't know. Yeah. Ron is like, give him a break, Hermione. Ron also and Ginny give Harry a, an update on Quidditch practice. How is Quidditch going with this new team? Now that they've lost many of their key members. Yeah. It's not going great. They're, they says practice is not going well. And that because of this, that there's a lot of uh, squabbling between the houses as well regarding Quidditch. So things are kind of breaking down all over the place. Uh, there is a Quidditch match. And they lose by 10 points. Uh, Ginny actually catches the snitch, but they still lose by 10 points, right? Yeah, that rarely ever happens. This is one of the only times that happens. And why do they lose so badly? Do you remember? Uh, Because their beaters aren't good? No, they lose because Ron gives up 24 goals in 22 minutes. What? That's more than one goal a minute. Ron is the keeper, and he stinks. He is letting goals happen all over the place. At least Ginny's good. Ginny's pretty good. She manages... Now, think about this. Ron gives up 24 goals in 22 minutes. Ginny catches the snitch in 22 minutes. Not bad. Uh, but it doesn't make up. This is maybe the only time in the books where the team that doesn't ca- that catches the snitch doesn't win. I've, I've also wondered about something. Hmm. What if, uh, like somebody, um, somebody catches the snitch, and then at the end of the game, they're actually tied. What do they do? There would have to be rules for it. I don't know. Maybe they have to like play an extra, um, an extra yeah overtime or something like that. Yeah, probably some sort of overtime situation. Like they they get another snitch and then. Play the game again. Or Maybe something? Quidditch through the ages will explain that to you. I'm not sure. Maybe uh, Harry has a dream again. He think well. He thinks it's a dream. Maybe he's seeing reality, and he's just about to open a black door. Then what happens? Ron wakes him up by snoring. Thanks, Ron. Thanks a lot, Ron. Harry gets a bunch of letters because his Quibbler article has come out. Luna says it came out yesterday. Some of the letters are positive. Some of them are not particularly friendly. Uh, One reader thinks Harry should be subject to shock spells. Umbridge comes over. And Harry tells her he gave an interview. And by mid-morning, 
there is a new decree. What is the new decree? Um, and any student found. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Any student found carrying the quibbler will be expelled. Yes, they want to prune practices that should be prohibited, like the quibbler. So the quibbler is now banned from Hogwarts. That and and that actually makes people want to read it more. Now they're sneaking it around. By the next day, everyone's read it. <laughs> so this is what happens with kids. You tell them not to do something; it's the only thing they want to do. Thanks, Umbridge. <laughs> uh. So this is not um, this is not great. Uh, Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle are in the library with a boy named Theodore Knott when Harry is looking for a book that he needs on partial vanishment. I guess there's something he needs for class. And Harry knew all of their fathers were Death Eaters. And I, I, be- I believe they had a confrontation about that. Mm. Uh, so that's, oh, that's right, that's right. It's in the article. Harry listed all the Death Eaters that arrived. He, this, is, this is the first time ever that other than to his friends and to Voldemort that Harry has said publicly that uh, Draco's father is an active current Death Eater. So that's if anyone believes him, then that's going to be bad for the Malfoys, right? Right. How did this particular issue of the Quibbler sell? Really good. So much so that for the first time ever, ever, her father had to make a reprint. So people want this information. This might mean good things for Harry. It might mean that his story is at least getting out there. Or people might be reading it to get mad about it. Because that's the thing grown-ups do that makes no sense. Really? Uh, Yeah, that's 90% of the internet is people reading things they know are going to upset them so they have a reason to be mad. You don't do that, do you? I don't do that. Thank you. I have a lot more sense than that. Thank you, Daddy. So uh, that night, Harry has his dream again. This time, he's not seeing through the eyes of the snake. What does he see? He's... Whose eyes is he looking for through this time? It seems like Voldemort's. Seems like Voldemort's. There's a man named Rockwood. And he's asking for forgiveness. Rookwood. Rookwood. Voldemort seems to have been uh, given some bad advice by Rockwood. Um, And also it's um, R-O-O-K. Oh, Rookwood. That's right. Yeah. You know why I think it's Rockwood? Because that's how Karkarov says it in the movie. Yeah, that's true. So it's his accent that's that's altering my perception. But uh, Rookwood says... Bode could never have taken it, and it would, uh, and he wouldn't have known. Let's see, and would have known that he could not fight Malfoy's imperious curse. And Voldemort has Avery sent in. Voldemort turns toward a mirror, and Harry walks up, and he sees Voldemort's reflection in the mirror. So now he knows he's seeing through Voldemort's eyes, but he's saying he couldn't have taken it. So what? We don't know what they're trying to take, right? Why couldn't you have said it? Why? He almost gets to open the door. He almost hears what this thing is that they need. He he just gets little bits and pieces, but he always wakes up before he gets the, the full picture, right? Right, and that's bad. Uh, when going back to sleep, his scar shoots in pain, and he knows that this person that they're talking about is being punished. 
he thinks that perhaps Voldemort is doing a Cruciatus curse now. I think it would stand a reason to to think that his connection with Voldemort is getting stronger, right? Right. Because now it's not just occasional dreams. He seems to be kind of feeling every strong emotion that Voldemort has. Yeah, that's kind of bad or good. Hermione thinks that this person bowed might have been murdered because of whatever mistake he made that he was asking for forgiveness for. Um, When he tried to remove whatever this thing was. Well, it was because of the devil's snare. Oh, Bode. That's right. Bode was the guy in the hospital. Hospital. And so her, that's right. That's what sets this all in motion. Uh, She thinks that Bode was murdered, that when he tried to to get the thing, whatever the thing is that Voldemort needs, that something happened to him, which made him unable to talk sensibly. Because when they saw him in St. Mungo's, he was unable to speak. But then he started to recover. And he may have started telling everybody what had happened to him. And that's when he was killed. I told you that was important. Yeah, it was important. Uh, Hermione figures out that maybe Malfoy got uh, Sturgis Podmore with the Imperious Curse. And now Rookwood has told Voldemort how to get what he wants. So is it possible that that this guy that ended up in... uh, in St. Mungo's was under the Imperius curse, acting not under his own power, and that before he could spill the beans and say who did it to him, they sent this devil snare to kill him, right? Right. So they're trying to cover their tracks. Uh, this is getting confusing for me because it's been a long time since I've read it, and there's a lot of different names here that we're not usually... So if I, do, if I have, in the last paragraph of speaking or so, gotten many of the names wrong, forgive me, but I think we're getting the overall gist that there is a plot to get an item that people may be under the Imperious Curse to get it, and then they're being killed before they can spill the beans. Hey, at least I haven't watched the movie, so I can correct you if you're wrong. Almost none of this happens in the movie. I remember the movies like yesterday. Well, at le- well all, essentially all of this is, that we're talking about right now is left out of the movies. Well, like I said, at least I didn't watch the movie That's yet. okay. Uh, so, Harry is at another Occlumency lesson. Snake asks him about the dreams he's having. Snape. What did I say? Snake? Yeah. Snake, Snape. (laughs) Snape asks him, because we're talking about a snake. Snape asks him about the memories uh, that he's having about his dream and about a man kneeling in a dark room. Snake wonders how Harry feels about having this dream about Voldemort. And I'm like, what's it matter? Just do do your lesson. They practice more. Yeah, like, they talk about that for, like, at least 20 minutes. Snape uses the Legelamans. 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 To enter Harry's mind. Harry, instead of using occlumency, uses a Protego to defend himself. Reverse curse. And just as Snape possibly feared originally and took precautions against, the spell backfires. And Harry sees um, a, a little boy kneel, um, um, crying be, um, um, because his mother is kneeling on the floor, um, horrified in the, co- um, in the corner of the room. And it looks like um, the little boy's father is yelling at his mom. And what does the little boy's father look like? I don't really remember. They say he's got a hooked nose. So perhaps this is 
Snape's father yelling at Snape's mother. Maybe Snape had an abusive father. Maybe that's one of the reasons he's such a jerk. What else do we see? Nothing else, I believe. No, not nothing else. We see a few of Snape's memories. Oh. Let's see. I'll pull it up here. We see... A hook-nosed man shouting at a cowering woman while a small, dark-haired boy cried in a corner. And then we see a greasy-haired teenager alone in a dark bedroom shooting flies with his wand, so obviously very lonely. And Snape says, enough! And the quote is, Harry felt as though he'd been pushed hard in the chest. He took several staggering steps backward and heard something crack. Snape was shaking slightly, very white in the face. Obviously, Snape was embarrassed and possibly enraged by what Harry saw. And they broke some uh, jars, some potion jars, and Harry or Snape, one of them does a reparo. Snape does a reparo to mend the jars. And they try again. This time, Harry sees himself flying along the corridor towards the Department of uh, Mysteries, Opening the black door, getting into a black-walled and black-floored circular room lit with blue flames and more doors around him. Snape breaks the connection and tells Harry, Explain yourself. And then they hear a woman scream. And they go to see what it was. What? Who did they hear screaming? They don't know yet. But they find out. Who is it? Trelawney. And what's going on? Um, um, everybody is, um, is in a circle of, uh, um, around, um, Umbridge, who is looking very smug and happy, and Trelawney is cowering on the floor with trunks beside her. So what's happened? Um, um, Trelawney says, no, you can't! Um, and... Um, Umbridge says, yes, I have. You have been eliminated from the school. Yeah, they fired Trelawney, and then Dumbledore comes out, and he says, uh, you know, you might be able to fire, the ministry might be able to fire my teachers. But I still insist that she stays in the school. He says, he says something like, as I remember, the headmaster is still in charge of who remains on the grounds. So he allows her to still live there, even though she can't teach. Because otherwise, she's got no home and she's got nowhere to go. Some of these teachers... Well, where does she go in the summer? Some of them go home. It seems like some of them live there. Oh, so, then, the, oh then why couldn't um, 16-year-old Voldemort stay? He's not a teacher. I, I know, when he was a student. Well, because over the break, the teachers are not expected to have to deal with students. Hmm. Don't you get the impression that Voldemort lives there? I mean, that uh, Dumbledore lives there? They never say. But I, I don't think Dumbledore ever leaves. I guess because he does, like, have a bed and stuff. So Trelawney gets to stay, and Flitwick helps her, gets her trunk and all her gear back into the castle. Dumbledore, in a move that will particularly annoy Umbridge, hires a new divination teacher. Who does he hire? He hires a centaur. Do you remember his name? No. Forenzi. Mm. He hires Forenzi the Centaur to teach divination. I thought it was just Forenz. It's Forenzi. Hmm. So 
at least according to the movie pronunciation, I'm going to go with that because I assume they cleared it with J.K. Rowling. So, so we know. What do you think Umbridge thinks of centaurs? Uh, not very good of them because they're like half humans. Yeah, she she considers them to be creatures of near human intellect, which is obviously bogus. They are not fully human in their biology, but in their mental capacity, they are certainly as intelligent and self-aware as humans. So she wants to treat them like animals, and Dumbledore rightfully wants to treat them like people. Because half of them is a human, and they're very intelligent, and half of them is a horse. Well, their body is is half a horse. So they... So in doing so, Dumbledore said, fine, you want to fire a teacher I like? I'm going to hire a teacher you hate even more. That's his passive-aggressive way of sticking it to her, you know? Mm. Plus, I think Dumbledore knows that Ferenzi is going to be really good at his job, whereas Trelawney was not. So so she'll have no reason to fire him. Yeah, she, um, she won't like him. But she also won't be able to fire him. So She'll have to try really hard to find an excuse to fire so him. So that'll annoy her even more. Yeah, absolutely. And so Dumbledore is, is striking back ever so slightly. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Potter and Daughter. We're going to come back uh, next week, I imagine, or in the next two weeks, with probably two more episodes to round out book five. We have about 12 chapters left to cover. There's a lot of information. This is a long book. I know, right? And then after this, we have another long book. And after this, we have another long Long book. book. We have probably got, I would imagine, at least six episodes per book remaining for the next two books. Although I think either um, this one or number four is the longest one. Yeah, but in terms of stuff to talk about, it's not so much about page numbers as much as it is about what's happening. So sometimes it's easier to go on longer. Like details and stuff? Absolutely. So uh, I do do ask, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes and rate it highly. Tell people you like it. Tell people why you listen to it. If you don't like it, you're probably not still listening. Why would you? That would be ridiculous and a waste of your time. But if you do, hey... There's that iTunes rating thing, and you could do it, and we would appreciate it. It'll certainly help more people find and enjoy the podcast. If you would like to support my ability to make a living from making things like comics and podcasts and various other endeavors, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E, and put in one, two, three, five dollars a month, whatever, to show your appreciation and help support independent artists making independent stuff. For Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I am Lily Watson. I am Lily Watson. Oh, hello. <laughs> What's that? And uh, thanks for listening. What do you think? Good episode? Great episode. All right. Oh, my God. That was like four high fives. <laughs> I do not care. It's awesome. Okay, bye. Bye. This book is so awesome.